Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today, I am privileged to be joined by Rabbi Joey Haber, renowned speaker and mashpia. Thank you, Rabbi Joey, for being here. Thank you very much. It's, it's a very exciting to sit and speak to you. I know you have a busy schedule. I'm looking forward as and well. You very ma- and much you so. managed to squeeze us into the schedule. Uh, thank you. It's my honor. And I, I really appreciate you coming out to Rahway to schmooze. Really, the truth is, it took a Vayimoyin book to get you down yeah, here. Yeah, I'm looking forward because I, I really, Vayimoyin has a very special place in my heart, so I'm excited about the conversation. So I, I, and I appreciate you coming here. I, we're we're, we're going to have a limited amount of time, but really with you, we could go in so many different directions, both about your your career, which Baruch Hashem has taken off. You're, you're really speaking in so many, so many places, different audiences. You seem to have a message that resonates with those audiences, so... Baruch Hashem, Klai Yisrael is lucky to have no, such an eloquent you. voice. Thank you. Uh, today we are here to discuss the Vayimoyin book, which I, I'm going to start with this. Um, you are one of the many speakers who have spoken for Vayimoyin, and it's a remarkable thing. The, even popular speakers like yourself, you, you've addressed massive audiences, you speak all the time, and yet the speakers of Vayimoyin say that the feedback they've gotten to their clips however many they've done. Some have done one or two, some have done many. They say there's nothing like it. They've never seen anything like that type of feedback. Talk about that. So to me, it's incredible. When I first got called about this, it was about a year ago now, and they called me up. We have this idea with these videos. I don't even know if I heard about it before or not, and we want to know if we could film you a few videos. I said, okay, fine, no problem. And they came down. Actually, I think the first one I did was specific for Super Bowl Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, we could talk about avoiding this watching. You know, it's, I said it's delicate because you don't want to endorse watching the Super Bowl because a lot of people are living, I don't know if I'm speaking Ashkenazi, Paris, <laughs> and right. they're not watching anything. And you don't want to even hint to the fact that they are. And then there's other people that really are watching the Super Bowl, nothing you can do about it, but you want them to sort of be a little careful about what they see and don't see, the halftime show, the commercials, and be and have a certain standard. And... I said, okay, I'm going to try. And we did a video that day. And I couldn't, whatever, a week before, they put it out that day. And I couldn't believe how many places it was. And all of a sudden, everywhere I go, all of a sudden, we saw saw your video, we saw your video, the Super Bowl video, we saw the video. I was like, what? I didn't know what Viamine is. Uh And now all of a sudden, I'm hearing about it from every different direction. And then we did many more. And each time... Now I walk into a room and people won't tell me, oh, you spoke here, you spoke there, I saw this club, I just get very often the first time I'm greeted, oh, you're the guy, I loved you by my video. I'm like, how about everything else? <laughs> there really people seems to be that Vayimayin captured the imagination of Kalal Yisrael in a very, very dramatic way. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So like I said, I, the other night I was speaking in Muncie, I walk in the door, Three people. I loved you by your mind. The one about the story about the guy. You had the story of the person who didn't go to Vegas. You had the, uh, like, uh, people ask me, there's a Ksav cipher that I said over in a recent by your mind. I got asked in so many different places. Could you show it to me inside? Can I? I was like, how'd this happen? It, it, it's mm-hmm. only a year and a half old. Right. I mean, I think I have a lot of reasons how it happened. So I was going to ask, what do you think, especially in light of the fact that Vayimayin is built on the topic of Shmir Zainayim? which it's, it's expanded over the last year or so. Speakers have taken the liberty. Perhaps they're exhausting the number of times you could talk about the Shalshelis on the volume. Right. You know, there's, only, right. there's only so much Torah on that topic. Okay. And perhaps people are exhausting the, the Verlach that they have, so they're expanding to talk about overcoming challenges in general. But what's, what's interesting is that the main topic is Shemir Seinayim, Kedusha, topics that... Growing up in Flatbush, you grew up in Lakewood, New Jersey, right? Well, I grew up in Deal, and I, I went grew up to in go, Deal. But I went to school. Well, we I went, went to Yeshiva school in Lakewood. Yeshiva in Lakewood. Now, and the most grew, innocent time of its when history. When we grew up, without asking your age, I know we may be in the same age bracket. Uh, these were topics that were not discussed when we grew up. Kedusha, Shmir, Sainayim, and things like that. It was it was almost a taboo topic. It was something that was that was kept uh, somewhat under under wraps and and. It was something that everyone dealt with individually. It was an individual avayda, right. not a public avayda. And then comes Vayimayin and brings it out into the public, and surprisingly so, there seems to be this 
this embrace of the topic? What, what do you think that is? So, I, first of all, I think there's a lot of why Vayimai is so successful, and then I'll get to the Shmir Sinai part of it specifically. As far as why Vayimai is so successful, first of all, I think they're really careful with the speakers they choose. It's not just any guy who can talk that they take clips from. I think number two is they, they, they really make sure the content is good. Like there are times, I was talking to them, I said, I, I made seven clips, you put them all out? I, like, they said, no, no, we put only the home run ones out. So they really care mm-hmm. about what they do, and they produce it very well. Right, that we know. So it's literally a mini movie. Right. So here you have sure. a, a, a movie that's obviously kosher, that's literally, there's a story, there's a, like, the way it's made, the way it's produced is, is, is incredible. But I think the biggest reason why it's so popular and part of the reason why, to your question, why it's talked about so much more today is because the struggle is humongous. And it's something that I realized by how many people came over to me about it. I said, basically, if you tell me you love my Vayimayin videos or you love Vayimayin in general, that means you're saying, in essence, you struggle with this topic. Because if I was telling people when you're walking on the street, make sure you don't glance at the squirrel, no one was going to be saying to me, I don't know if I should say it that way, but if I was on the streets and saying, be careful, that, that you're careful about the, the, the trees, no one's going to say, wow, that was, uh, that's so inspiring. Mm-hmm. It's obviously inspiring because it's something you struggle with. Mm-hmm. And I think our generation is struggling with this uh, more than any previous generation, and the reasons are very obvious. The reasons are because um, marketing and and. and pictures have advanced in such a dramatic level. So people have screens in their home, even the firmest homes have mm. a screen with a computer, they have internet, they don't have internet, they have filtered internet, there's a lot of that. Then you have all the phones and everything that's on the phones. And then you have the advancement of, you know, just how where there's a lot of from people in the, in the, working for, in the workforce, which means they're, they're tested often about what, where, what their eyes are seeing. And, and then at the same time, you have just, our communities are bigger, the amount of people we're around are bigger. It just has become an incredible nisayon. Mm-hmm. So to not talk about it would really not be addressing the topic that everyone out there is struggling with. So there may have been a time when even, and you know, it's funny, one of the Volume Mind videos that got a lot of feedback on, which is to this point, which I think answers part of to answer your question, is that these days there's even a struggle within the from community. That means that the, 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 the guarding of, of your eyes is not just to guard your eyes from something inappropriate, it's even from things that are appropriate. Mm-hmm. And what's happened is that uh, the, the from community, you said I grew up around Lakewood. The Frum community at, at, at that point was so pure and was so insulated. You know what I'm saying? I, I love telling this. I went to Lakewood Cheder when there were two parallel classes in the whole town of Lakewood. Mm. Just digest that. Two parallel classes for boys in the whole town. I don't know if people know Lakewood. There's a building in Lakewood called the Legion Building. It's mm-hmm. next to the Yeshiva. Sure. That's the whole schooling. That's the, that when, was, when you went to the Cheder, was I the was Legion in building? the Legion Building until about oh. fourth grade. Fifth oh, wow. grade, we moved to the Earth. And BMG was in one building BMG at the time. BMG was in one base, one right, base, one base Yashan, and that was it. And then I remember when they built Base Elio. Base Elio, yeah, across the street. Sure. Every, we remember, watched the whole stuff. But the town was, you know, it went as far as Madison. You know, I don't want to get into details of Lakewood, but it was basically went as far. Madison was, Clifton was the, was the border on one right. side. Right. And, and, you know, maybe 2nd Street was the border on one side. There's a few people who lived over the lake. It was like a thing over the lake. Right. And other people lived 14th Street. That was the whole square. So people's life, the way people lived, the way people dressed, the way people, what people were, were, were saw around them was all very, very, um, very appropriate. Mm-hmm. So the Nisayan in the Machanis, so to speak, was not so great. And now all of a sudden, and I'm not just picking like any town that's in the from world and in the Jewish world, all of a sudden the horizons and the mentalities have expanded. Right. So now all of a sudden, even what's described as a from family is much broader and much more colorful than it used to be. So there's Nisayanot in our Machana, there's Nisayanot there's tests outside of it, and there's tests in the fact that there's screens pushed in our face in a hundred different ways. So it's become a humongous challenge. And because it's become a humongous challenge, I think that's why it's taken off in a dramatic, dramatic way. 
And it seems that also because people are struggling with it, from my vantage point, what I see is that Vayimayin, besides for providing real-time etzos, you know, ways to deal with it, it was a validation. It was saying, we understand your struggle. So that it's a, alone it's a great right, point is a, because is a huge I think thing. this is a, and I don't know, maybe we have to discuss it with Gedolim to see what it's supposed to be. But there was a time that it felt like that the approach to the topic almost was you should feel guilty mm-hmm. that you ever have a tava at all. Like the fact that you ever have a, a thought to, to, you should feel guilty that you have that, that, that feeling. It's very, it's very delicate to talk about this. Even as sure, I'm talking to you about sure, it, sure. I'll tell you the truth, I'm uncomfortable yeah. because you want to use words. Yeah. Like again, you, it, this is to me, this is very important about this topic in general. Excuse me yeah. for putting this in parentheses. But yeah. if you're going to talk about this, if you're going to talk about it the right way, you have to talk about it. It has to be as non-descriptive as possible. Because if you describe something, even if every word is kosher and every description is kosher, that itself is, is a breach. Is, is a, a breach. breach. Right. So as I'm talking to you, sure. I'm struggling because I'm trying to make sure that the words we're using are really coming out the right way. It's a great point. And by the way, I've noticed that also in the Vayimayin videos. There's so much chachma in, in the way the messages are presented. And I want to just to segue to the book for a second, Rabbi Yechiel Spiro did an unbelievable job on this book. I'm telling you, it is a phenomenal book. You, you read the book and you feel uplifted. And what he did was, he took the imagery of the videos that makes Vayimayin so interesting, and he actually captures it in the book, if that's possible. And he does it in such an edelah way, such a gentle way. Wow, so that was, so, before we get to, yeah. to the book for a second, I'm just saying this struggle that we're talking about, it, there used to be a feeling of like, if you ever struggle with this, you should feel bad about yourself. And now it's transitioned. I'm not sure if it's through the direction of Gedolim or just happened, but it's transitioned to, if you struggle with this, you're a regular person. It's almost like if you don't struggle with this, we have to worry. If you struggle with this, you're a regular person. And, but now do your best to work on it. So the feeling that maybe Vayimayin created is this is a universal struggle. Now let's work on it. And every day having these positive, uplifting, energizing videos that are telling a person how to lift themselves out of that feeling and how I know you feel this way. It's okay you feel this way, but now don't. I think that has resonated tremendously with Kalisa. Mm. Now getting to Rabbi Spiro. So first of all, I just want to tell you Rabbi Spiro is a beautiful person. I've, we've interacted a number of times and we've become very friendly. In fact, uh, he's spoken a couple of times on our behalf and different things we've done. And he, you know, he'll, he's, he's just wonderful. He's humble. He'll more. send a beautiful comment. Sometimes he'll hear a speech of mine. He'll send a comment. I loved it. I love how you said it. And I'm like, you know, uh, you know you're kind of Yechiel Spiro. Like you don't need a vow. It's just there's something very beautiful about his demeanor and his way and his humility and his... And the way he does things is, is really phenomenal. Um, that being said, yes, his way to write, and the truth is, I, I don't know if I should admit this, but his, some of the books that I'd love to read, that in my first speeches I used to incorporate were his books, Touched mm-hmm. by a Story 1, Touched sure. by a Story 2. If you come in my house, you'll see half the pages folded. <laughs> Those are the ones that I like, would like to tell over. By the way, your stories also I love telling over, have I? Thank you. So... Um, but he really does a phenomenal job, and he really picks fantastic stories, and his way of writing really brings it out in a beautiful way. Sure. So having him be the person to do this, um, I think even adds another level of strength and legitimacy to it. And the way he writes, he writes in a beautiful way. He always does. Yeah. I, you know, I once asked him, like, how you put out so many books so fast? Right. I, I don't know what it is. He has his ways and how he <laughs> does it, but he does it. He gets it done really unbelievably. Um, maybe it helps living in Baltimore. We <laughs> maybe don't live that's in the chaos is. of New York. I don't know. Maybe you know. Maybe there's parking where he lives. In the end. <laughs> I, I, hear, I hear you. But he really does. He's a, a great. Job. He's a great talent, and I'll, I'll echo your sentiment. He's he, he's one of the most talented people I know, and that's not even his biggest Milo. I hear you. Yes. No. He he's really a, is a, he's a gem of a person. So, yeah, he's very and so he was the right person for this. Yes. For this project, for sure. Now we're we're talking about these struggles. You're someone who speaks to many audiences. Men, women, boys, girls, and so much of what you speak about. 
is tapping into that that inner neshama, the strength to overcome. What is the message that you typically give over when you want to talk about whether it's ruchnius challenges, whether it's peer pressure? What ultimately is that home run message that you find resonates with your audience? So the first thing is you've got to you have to come from an up place, not from a down place, not like. Don't, don't, turn, don't uh, see Sunday inappropriate because you're bad if you do so. Not that like we, we always, we're always wrong. And, always, and, and there were times in Clyde saw that maybe that was the message. I don't think it is now. I think now Clyde saw is struggling a lot mentally too. The pressure on people is intense. Like the average person has a lot of emotional struggle. Raising children is harder than anyone imagined. Having the real Shalom Bayit, the way you really envision it, is harder than anyone imagined. The cost of living is just not even fair, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> so now you're starting off, every person wakes up in the morning. So many people in, this, in our people today, living beautiful lives, wake up in a cold sweat. And they start to think about their day, and they get a, this bill, this challenge, this kid, this school... There's a lot that's going on. Mm -hmm. So people have to be lifted up. That's what they need. And those are the messages that are resonating across Kaisa right now the most. You know what I'm saying? Ramayalik Biedemann is lifting people up. Mm -hmm. you and know it's, always, it's always with it's, that positive It's always message. somehow lifting people up. So I think that, that's the A. The A is that it has to come from something that makes you feel excited, not something that makes you feel beat down. Um, a message, now when it comes to Vayimayin, on a personal level, what I like to talk about a lot is that I really think that when a person does not, is not careful about Kedushah and is not careful about where their eyes wander, I think those people are much more frustrated. So I think you have this added advantage, and that's not the reason why we do it. The reason why a person has to be Shomer Zainayim is because Hashem said you have to be Shomer Zainayim. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when we make things comfortable and we sell it to you, it's almost like you should listen because of the sales pitch. You're not listening because of the sales pitch. You're listening because Hashem said to do so. But the sales pitch, I think, happens to be fairly easy on this one. Because... People that eyes are all over the place, those people are not happy. People. That's obviously going to just make you more frustrated. The concept of being jealous, let's say we talked about just your eyes wandering to seeing what other people's cars and other people's homes. Most people don't get happy seeing someone else's house being bigger than theirs. Mm -hmm. So the same thing is to which we not denying. It, it, seeing things that, that you don't have is not helping you, it's not making you happier. So the easy sell on this is the more, more self-control you use, the more you're able to say no, the more happiness and beracha you're bringing into your life right away, easily, directly, that minute. Mm -hmm. So first it has to be uplifting, and secondly it has to be, um, and has to be something where, where you realize you're going to be happier. Again, the challenge of this is, is that we've been able, I think a lot of speakers today have been able to sell um, a Torah lifestyle so nicely that it becomes more about the sales pitch. Mm -hmm. than it does. Like for example, and this is not about Vayimayim, but it's a good example. There's so many stories out there about the person daven and they got saved. I hate those stories. Mm -hmm. Because really Hashem decides if you're going to get saved or not. I'm not saying I've never said those stories, but I try to avoid those stories at all costs. Because it makes people feel like, like that's how it works. So I understand you're trying to sell davening. And you're trying to sell tefillah. So the way you sell tefillah is you say, oh, we know this guy, the doctors went in, they checked his heart, he, needed, he had a disease all over, they couldn't even do surgery. And then they said tehillim, and they opened up they the and it was after. gone forever, and he lived happily ever after. Wonderful story, they're easy to tell, they're fun to tell, and they do inspire people to daven until someone davens and it doesn't work. And they daven for someone and the person didn't live. And now all of a sudden they come back, and again, I work a lot with the Syrian, with, 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 with modern part of, of, of the Jewish world, uh, and also a lot with the front part of the Jewish world, but the modern part of the Jewish world struggles with this. I, I daven, it mm -hmm. didn't work. 
The answer is, whoever told you that's the equation. Do you daven because Hashem told you to daven? You daven because you connect to Hashem. You daven because you're a servant of Hashem. You daven because that's avodah. That is our way to serve and connect. That's our way that we build ourselves and we build our emunah and our strength. That's why you daven, not because of results. Mm -hmm. So the same thing is true here. Shminat Naim is our obligation. I don't care whether you like it or not. I don't care whether life is happier by closing your eyes or not. It's our obligation. But it also happens to be that people that are Shomer De'enayim, it's so much easier to be focused. It's so much easier to be happy. And they feel liberated. I think that becomes right. a very powerful, that becomes right. a powerful message. And, I think, and the Vayimayin message is also beyond the Shomer De'enayim and Kedusha component right. is also, as many of the speakers have alluded to, is tapping into the what, what we were talking about before, the inner strength and fortitude to say no to different things. It might be materialistic. It might be different types of peer pressure. It's really building strength to do what I want to do, not to be forced by outside forces. Right. So that, um, I, I think, is a message that I personally love. And I, I've said this a lot of time in speeches. I'll share it again here. Anytime I get an excuse to share it, I like sharing it. And that is, I was once, I was once struggling, like I'm trying to teach my children, and I'm trying to teach them, like, how we want to be mechanic, our kids. And now you find the kids saying, but that family does it that way, and that family does it that way. Right. So sometimes I say, well, we're more yeshivish than them. And then, oh, but that family doesn't do it. Oh, but we're more normal than them. <laughs> so I keep going back and forth from like, so I have to knock everybody right. in order to make my kids uh, A agree, with, agree with our mahalah. And then I, I had a thought, and it was a random place. We were in Philadelphia. We were going on a trip. We were going to take a horse and buggy ride. We were sitting outside the horse and buggy, and we wanted some table or something, and, and the kids were waiting. They had a half-hour wait. I said, guys, I want to tell you something. So my kids were all sitting at the table. I said, there's such a thing in the world as a brand. Ferragamo is a brand. Nike is a brand. Disney is a brand. Coca-Cola is a brand. Uh, Gucci is a brand. Uh, uh, Toyota is a brand. Every, there's brands. Each brand has a very distinct style. And everyone within that brand understands the style. So everyone in Coke understands the kind of products that would be under the Coke heading. Everyone at Disney understands what fits with Disney. This, this cartoon fits with Disney. That is not a Disney type. Everyone knows you go to Disney theme parks, I think they're made in the way that everything is all Disney. Gucci, there's certain leathers that they'll use. Other leathers, they don't even, you don't bring it into Gucci because that's our way. I said, families also are a brand. Each family has a brand. And they have a style. And they're known for certain things and they're good at certain things and they have certain strengths. And it doesn't mean that that family is better than another family. It means it's what they're known for. Mm -hmm. I said, our Habers, we're a brand based on our grandparents, based on, based on my grandparents, based on your grand, my parents, based on myself, based on mommy and us. Uh, based on your aunts and uncles, we have a certain style. And we're most conditioned for that style. So what, and when people see you, they see that style. It doesn't mean that we're, our style is better than others. It just means this is ours. And this is our unique blend that we could serve Hashem with in a very, be hopefully beautiful way. And like a light bulb went on in their head. It was like they got it. And you didn't have to, I don't have to knock anything else. And it doesn't mean you can't get a lot from everything. Of course, you're getting a lot from all Rosh Hashivas, other families, other things that you can learn from. Right. But ultimately, it fits into our way. And every one of my kids, I got to get there with my youngest, but, but my younger ones, but every one of my older kids that like, they get our they style, bought, they bought, they into they bought in. And it's easy. I don't have to sell it to them. Mm -hmm. I don't have to feel like, like I have to convince them what we do. And, and our family is a certain unique way. In a certain way, we are very sheepish. In a certain way, we have a very normal side. They, like, it, not every family has that blend. Mm -hmm. But we have that blend, and my kids are very comfortable with that blend. But you're saying really every family on their level could Every could family teach their can kids create that. That we're a brand, and you should be proud of what and we stand for. Once you're proud of the brand, it's right. easy to say no to other things. Mm -hmm. And every family has to have that. Now, and, and I think most families could. Now, but can I ask you a, a, yeah. a technical question? If, if my father is Rabbi Joey Haber, and he's fairly well-known, and he's an eloquent speaker, and he's out there, and he's making a difference, so if I'm your child, yeah, it's, you know, I like the brand. It's a pretty good brand. 
but not every family is, is high profile. Not every family has parents who are prominent or even successful at different levels. How, do you, how would you inculcate that pride in a, in a run-of-the-mill family where they don't have that cachet? Okay, I appreciate the compliment. You made me uncomfortable a little. I'm not sure what to say, but I appreciate what you're saying that. Um, but I would say is this. Every family has a success. And every family has something. And, and, and if you want your kids to buy in, you have to have some success. It could be uh, the father is very good at chesed. It could be the father is very helpful in the shul. It could be uh, the mother is very involved in certain things in the community. If, if you want your children to look up to you, they have to see a little bit of validation of what you are. Mm-hmm. And at some point, again, it doesn't have to be something that shatters the world, but it has to be something that, that there is a reason. And if you find a fa- like, you know, it's, it's a little success, like I said, maybe, maybe you have guests come to your house a lot. So you're successful at bringing guests over. Mm-hmm. You're successful at being very fun people. There's some area of success. Kids want to follow success. There's some area of success that has to come out. And again, the definition of success could be very different. You could be, you could be a good Shiloh Meshav second Seder that does a wonderful job and the Bacharim love you and you really lift mm-hmm. up those Bacharim very much. That's success. Right. You, know what I'm and you could be a person who, who works in a store and the people that come and you make a simple salary, but everyone loves coming to the store because you greet them wonderfully. That's also success. Mm-hmm. Sure. So... Maybe this is a little shalom lishma. Maybe it should be that, that you shouldn't need success in order to follow your, your parents. That's true. But the advice to parents would be is that ultimately if you want your children to follow you, some kind of success is critical. I want to tell you, I love, I love the concept. I think from a chinuch standpoint, it's vital. It's interesting that people don't really talk about it. This, this, this nakuda, I've thought about it a lot. I never thought of it as a brand. I always thought about instilling in your children pride to be who they are, and it really comes, it filters down from the parents, but I love how you're framing it as a brand. You're a brand, every family is a brand, and it takes effort and time to cultivate that. Now, you also have to validate the kids within the brand. Right. If you're right. successful, but the kids have, like, have no connection, or different then, interests, then they're not right. interested. I'll give you, I'm, I'm pretty open, I'll give you yeah. a scary conversation that happened last night. My youngest son's teacher calls up. She couldn't get my weapon. She calls me. I don't know why I answered. I answered. She says, Rabbi Haber, can I speak to you? I said, I'm actually busy. I'm going to a meeting right now. Can you call me? She says, I really want to tell you something. I said, okay, I'll, I'll call you later. I, I said, my, my wife will call you back. My wife called the teacher back. The teacher says, by the way, my wife tells me, by the way, you know what the teacher said? I said, what did the teacher say? The teacher said that our son says that my father doesn't have any time for me ever. And my father's very busy. <laughs> And my father speaks all over, and he never has any time for me. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wow. I'm the guy who talks about spending <laughs> time, time with, with your children kids. and all that stuff. So, and as I, sure enough, as I was, this is, my wife is telling this, I'm leaving the house to go make a speech somewhere in a place in Kew Garden Hills and come back, and I'm like, uh. so first of all, at that night, I came right when I came home. Um, my son likes to see me. He likes to know that I'm home for the night, which mm-hmm. I'm often not. So I right away, he could tell if I'm home for the night. I'll put on something relaxed. And my, so I, I right away went to my room, put on something, looked calm. And I called him to my room. I said, Moshe, come in here. He says that. I said, you want to talk to me more? He says, yeah. I said, you realize that we're very close? He says, yeah. I said, in all likelihood, we're closer than most fathers and sons in your class. Just want to be clear. He says, oh, I know. I said, you realize that for five years I put you to sleep almost every night telling you the story of David HaMelech. We went through, half of Sh- we went through the whole Shemuel, the whole Melachim, the half of Yehoshua and the whole Shoftim together. Like, let's just relax on the, you know. I, I said, but I know what happened. Over, there was a winter vacation for the Syrian community and I didn't go away. So every night I stayed home with him and we spent time together. I said, I know you want to have, know that you have time with me. So let's schedule a time. I said, Thursday night, 9th. He says, oh, you're going to give me in a month from now. So he's liking the manipulation because he knows, he knows it's my weak point. <laughs> so you know, he's my weak point to make me feel like I'm not a great father. So I said to him, I said, no, no, Thursday, this is Tuesday night. I said, Thursday night from 9.30, Bezat Hashem, 9.30, we'll sit down, we'll spend time, we'll play a game, we'll spend time. I said, is that good? I said, and then on Thursday night, we're going to schedule another time. So he walked out, he felt great. 
But that's a big component too. The kids mm -hmm. need to feel like you're in tune to them. Mm -hmm. And this is a whole other topic. It's a whole chinuch thing right. we could get into. But it requires some success. It requires a standard. And it requires also you very much validating them and their feelings and their struggles and giving them the time that they need. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate the teacher's call because <laughs> she's kind of got me moving. I don't think it's as bad as it sounded. Like I <laughs> I said, oh, we sound like that right. whole horror story. The father, he's so busy. It turns out his own son. Like, you know, it sounds like a great story. But I think that that, to get back to Vayimayin, I think that that really is where it boils down to. Every family in Am Yisrael needs to be proud of what it means to be part of this family. It's the stories of our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our Zaydis, our Babas, our Elta Zaydis. It's the stories of, our, of our, ourselves and our own accomplishments. It's the pride and the beauty of being in this home. There has to be joy in the house. There has to be happiness in the house. There has to be, if I could use the word, fun in the house. Mm -hmm. This has to be an uplifting place. Once you're uplifted and you're energized and you believe in what it means to be you, then all the restrictions that are required are easy to do. Mm -hmm. So if you go to the, the former Queen of England and you said that there are guidelines, and, and this is something I said once in a speech that I also got a ton of feedback. It's just a regular speech that went around. And I said, the, the guidelines, there's guidelines of what's allowed in the Queen's wardrobe. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's annoying, but it's never difficult. Because at the end of the day, if that's what it takes to be the queen, I'm in. Mm -hmm. So the same thing is true with us, that if we believe in our brand, and more importantly, if we believe in our royalty, in our relationship with Hashem, and we're proud of it, then it becomes not so difficult to say no to the things that help make us us. And that's the concept of Ayman. Mm -hmm. The concept of Ayman is you could say no to that because you're not saying no to something. You're really saying yes to something much better. Mm -hmm. So to say no to something that just no is very frustrating. And yes, for a bacher, when you're 20 years old, right now it's just no. It's not like because of that you're more focused in your home and your family. That didn't start yet. So right now it's very difficult. But ultimately, the no is going to lead to a much more powerful yes. It's going to lead to a focus in your home and, and, a, and a belief and a trust within your marriage and within your family, that's incredible. So when, you, when you're excited about what you're doing and you're excited about where it's taking you, I think that enables you, to, the work that it takes to get there and this, the, the restrictions and the discipline that it takes to get there becomes a lot easier. On a, a totally, on, a, on a totally different topic, I'm going to treat myself now. I want to ask you, I'm very intrigued, it's not every day I get to have you sitting here, but as you say that to every guy that's a team. no, no, I don't. <laughs> okay. I don't. Um, every guest is special in their own way. Oh, I don't want to get in trouble. I appreciate. I appreciate. I don't want to get in trouble. You're going to get me in trouble with some people. <laughs> All the guests have been great in their no, own way. I know. I know. I know. They All each good. bring something special to the table. But I want to ask you to follow uh, three or four questions. You can answer them together. But I'm really intrigued to hear what you have to say. Even if the camera was off, I would want to ask you this. Number one. Who's a speaker or speakers who, growing up, who you looked up to and you wanted to emulate in terms of the way they were able to empower people and inspire people, number one. Number two, what do you think makes a good speech? Number three, um, how long do you prepare for a speech and can you use the same speech multiple times? And number four, just a side thing, you're speaking to many different audiences, both Ashkenazi and Sfardi, but you yourself are Svardi, so I'm curious how you decide when you use what pronunciation and how you don't get confused because you seem to do it so smoothly. Wow, so okay, wow, that was a ton. <laughs> okay, go one at a time. Not okay. the first one first. Let me, I have to think about that Let's one because I never fully do it. Go one at a time. Go. What makes a good speech? Is it the content, delivery, stories, um, beginning and end? What, 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 what's Great. the secret? Uh, okay, so there's a ton of things to it. First thing that makes a good speech is being incredibly in tuned to what the crowd is looking for. You need to think. I start off preparing every speech. No one wants to hear a word Joey Hibber has to say. That's my intro in my head. No one wants to hear me. Just because I'm standing here doesn't mean they want to hear me. I'm, now I know they don't want to hear me. How, what do I know they want to hear about? What are they thinking about? What do they care about? What's on their mind? 
So the goal, this first step is no matter which audience you're in, what's in their head. You know, every single time I make a speech, no matter where it is, I'll talk to the people involved and I'll ask them a thousand questions. Mm. And a lot of times if there's a few speeches, a lot of speeches in a week, I'll make sure to ask that people, those people close enough to the speech so I could remember and get into their head. Mm. How, what's the background? What's the kind of people? How many people are going to be there? What's the setting? What are they thinking about? How from are they? What's their dynamic? How religious are the men and women? Are they, oh, where do they send their kids to school? A million questions to sort of feel like what it feels like to be them. So the most important component of a speech is being in tune to what the crowd is thinking about. That's the olive. Um, Beth is, yeah, you can never talk down to a crowd. The crowd always has to feel like you respect them and you believe in them. So if a crowd ever feels like you're a little dismissive of anything about them, you could rebuke. And a lot of times the speeches can be very direct, but it comes in a way that the crowd feels lifted up. Now at the same time also, you want to make it interesting. Now, a lot of people think stories are interesting and Devret Torah are not. The truth is, today, it's not even so true because everyone's heard a million stories. A good vart, mm-hmm. like, hits you. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you can't always get a good vart because sometimes the emet is not the best, most ringing, perfectly placed vart. It's just the emet sometimes, you know, I mean, not every Rashi is under the category of, of, a, of a sweet, easy vart to hear. So, but when you can, a good vart, you want to be interesting throughout. So even when you're not telling a story, it should feel somewhat like a story. So it should feel like there's something that's taking place, which leads to another component, is that anytime you're using an analogy or a mashal or anything like that, if you could put it in a story form, it's much better. Mm-hmm. So if you say, the man went to the store. Let's say the man went to the store. I'm already done. I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I fell asleep. But if you say, yesterday when I went to Walgreens, that's all of a sudden, it's more intriguing. It's uh-huh. like, okay, what happened? Right. So if you, and that's, an, and then another thing that I use, I think more than, I, I would say this became my thing, is I use a lot of personal stories. And the personal stories that I use often don't make me look good. And it's funny, so just like the story just now, <laughs> I told you that the teacher called up and said, <laughs> that my son just told a few teachers in the school that I never get my father's time. Mm-hmm. That did not make me look good. But you know what it also did? Is half the people that are listening to this are saying, oh wow, because I had a similar experience. Either the teacher called or the teacher didn't call, but I sort of feel that way. Like my son feels like I'm not paying attention or my daughter feels like I'm So all of a sudden, they feel like one second, he, 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 he knows my life. So saying vulnerable stories for some reason, for a lot of people, it's hard to do. I don't find it hard to do because I, maybe because I've seen how much it's resonated. And I remember the first time I told the personal story, it wasn't even the best story. But the crowd reacted in a unique way. And I think when you tell those stories, now, again, someone once said to me, it's similar to the whole idea of the brand. You can't tell a story that makes you look bad and now everyone thinks of you as bad. You're talking about an audience that came to hear me mm-hmm. or turned it on in their car to hear me. So they obviously think I have some level of competence. So now to make myself vulnerable comes off as cute. Whereas if I just make myself look like a schlub, <laughs> then that's, that's not vulnerable. That's just never. So there's a balance. So there's a balance of that. So I gave you a bunch of components of, I think, of what mm-hmm. makes it. Obviously, good stories always resonate. We, we love a good story. But... I think a lot of those things are what resonates and makes. And how, how about delivery? What what part of a delivery talks to you? That you know that uh, is it is it someone's vocabulary? Is it their energy? Is it their passion? So what do you think? I, it is? I think all of those things work. I think having sometimes I wish I had a better vocabulary. Um, it's funny. My brother speaks. Uh, my brother Rabbi David. He's actually done a few of my mm-hmm. He has a great vocabulary. Um, I, I I sometimes I wish I had a better vocabulary, um, but I do think it helps. Now, you could also get to where your vocabulary is too hard. Too much. And it's like, okay, he's Mr. Perfect. I got it. I'll see you later. So <laughs> a little bit, the, the, the realness of it is, is important. But the high vocabulary, I think, helps. I think a strong delivery that, that expresses, expresses the emotion of the speech. So mm-hmm. at times you're sad, it should feel sad. At times you're happy, it should feel happy. At times you're, you're driving home a point that should feel like it's driven home. At times you got to go slow. At times you have to go fast. So balancing all mm-hmm. of that, but it's really expressing the emotion uh, as it's happening that I think 
becomes powerful in terms of a delivery. Now I asked you about preparation. How, mu how much time do okay. you prepare? Way more than anyone imagines. Really? My first speeches were about, I was still learning in Lakewood, and it was maybe 22, 23 years ago. I used to give a, sh a share to four people around the table. I prepared 10 hours. <laughs> four people, 45 minutes. And, the and, and at that time, I would say that was the best decision I ever made in my life. Maybe my wife, my she, you know, but I'm saying that was the, one of the best decisions I ever made because you have to prepare well. Now, at this point, are there times that I wing it? There are times that I wing it. Mm -hmm. But everything that is, like, if I'm creating an original speech, I try to put in a ton of time. Let's say you addressed a huge audience of uh, women and girls in the, the Nakadesh event. event. It was a, an arena, literally yes. an arena of, of women and girls. How much time did you spend okay, on that? Okay, so that, the whole thing of that was a nace. I could tell you the story okay. ongoing. But long story short, they didn't tell, call me to come and do it until a week before. Mm -hmm. That means I am right now booked for speeches in June. Really? May, June, wow. not, not saying the whole schedule. There's uh, some people that will still call now for February. And now for those watching, it's, it's now the early February. Right. I'm saying, right. But the point is, and you could, you could have, there'll be other people that will call two, three weeks in advance. But Nikadesh called on a Tuesday night. It was going to be, the event was going to be the next Wednesday night. And they basically were saying that they, they, they wanted... Like a little bit of like, I guess they wanted to make sure that it wasn't only yeshiva, so a little bit of a, like, but you were acceptable, I have a flip on, they, I don't know why they, and they said, okay, we want to see, so good. So now I all of a sudden got super focused on it, like nothing else in the world was on my mind, and now I'm thinking about it. I prepared a speech, Sunday morning I called them up, and said, we want to hear your speech. Sunday morning I called them up, I was actually driving to Lakewood, because I had moved to deal for the summer, I was driving to Lakewood, I like to learn a BMG when I have a chance in the summer. So I drive into Lakewood on a Sunday morning, and they call me up, let me hear the speech. I told them over the whole speech. They said, everyone knows that already. They nixed <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> so now it's Sunday morning. The speech is Wednesday night. I've never in person spoken to 25,000 people before in my life. Um, and 20,000 of them at that time, maybe 23,000 of them, never heard of me before. I was saying, like, why is someone named Joey on this flyer, an event? Like, it was, they, like, really... And, and then the Abisha just made miracles. Like all of a sudden, Nisim started to happen. I got the BMG. I bumped it. So I saw some kid I never knew. I came late because it was after shoot room and deal. I come. My son all of a sudden shows up because he's learning liquid. I said, what are you doing here? You don't learn this basement. You should learn the other one. He said, no, my friend bumped into you. I said, how'd he bump into me? I, how'd he even see? I saw one guy. He said, yeah, he saw someone holding a Ben Ishchai. He figured it was, it was you. I never, in your, no one brings a Ben Ishchai into Lakewood Yeshiva. Mm -hmm. I never in my life brought a Ben Ishchai. For some reason, that Sunday I did. My son says, by the way, you know, Dad, you're speaking in the Kaddish in three days. Like, do you have, you know what you're going to say? I said, the truth is they just nixed it on my drive here. He says, why don't you say the speech with the king and the speech with the, the, the story with the king and the story with the eagle? I was like, whoa, that's great. I'm going to do that. These are stories I've said before. That day, right after I was davening Mincha and Yeshiva, I thought of a thing of like, we fool. long story short, I was consumed with the speech the uh -huh. entire week. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of feedback. And again, I went to BMG again the Tuesday before to ask people, Does you, do you have technology in the house? Do you not? I wanted to feel what mm -hmm. the audience is going with mm -hmm. and see the confusion that the audience is. Like, what are they thinking? I'm in Brooklyn all year. I'm not in Lakewood all year. Majority of the audience was from Lakewood. So I need to feel what they were thinking. And then I had a brother who's a little associated with, his name is Rabbi Yaakov, he's a little associated with the, with the tag and all that stuff. He called me as I'm in the arena. And he says, uh, Joey, what are you going to say? I, I said, I prepared the speech already. I, I said, you know what? I said, let me, out of respect to him, he's my younger brother, but out of respect to him, let me share with him the speech. I shared, see, he tweaked 10 things. He said, don't say that line, do say that oh, line, really? minus that, don't say that story, not, not strong, keep in that story. And I got up on the stage and the Avisha took care of the whole wow. thing. And I mean, and they called me that morning. They said, by the way, just for you to know, we did a Hasidish event the night before. There's only going to be a thousand people there when you speak. I said, what, you got me here, all the way here, this and that, and there's going to be a thousand people. They said, by the time you're done, it'll be full. Mm -hmm. So I called my brother. I said, what should we do? This brother was in Lakers. I said, what should we do? He said, listen, if Hashem got you here, he'll get you there. Uh -huh. What Hashem do? I said, I didn't call them back. I didn't worry. 
stood on the stage. The place was 95% full. And all of the hookups from all around the world were all hooked in at that time. And everyone was like excited to see like, what's this event going to be and what's the Chiddush? So it became a speech that so many more people heard than if I would have been at the end. Uh-huh. Because at the end, people were going to tie to the topic a little more and like that. Mm-hmm. So Hashem runs the world. I will tell you this, every single speech I've ever given is a nice nigla. <laughs> that means Hashem has to send me a story of art, a thing like I don't know where it came from every single time. I'm not exaggerating. But it requires a ton of preparation. Mm-hmm. A ton, ton of preparation. And that all goes back to the respect of the audience. The audience is here to hear you. They don't want to hear you just ramble, even though I just did. They want to hear you prepared. Mm-hmm. And they want to hear and feel like you prepared for them. They can tell when you're prepared. And it gets them up to listen. So just before we wrap up the conversation, um, the, two ish, the two other things I asked you. The pronunciation, Ashkenaz Svardi. Okay, and who's well, the... Okay, and so then, and then, and then I, no, I was just curious. If you can't think of, I'm, I know I put you on the spot. No, it's okay. If there's anyone who, who you, you, know, you emulate as, as, as someone who's able to connect to an audience. Okay, so I'll, I'll answer both. Uh, first of all, the Ashkenaz Svardi. My background is very, very, very Syrian. My parents are mm-hmm. Syrian. I was raised in a Syrian house my entire life. I, I prayed in Syrian shuls my entire life. Very Syrian. And my background is also very, very Ashkenaz yeshivish. That means I went to Lakewood Cheder, went out from five years old, and then after you know, 10 grades in Lakewood Cheder from preschool to uh, or nine grades, I went to... I stayed on yeshiva for seven years. I learned in Brisk in Eretz Yisrael. Then I learned in BMG for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I've heard you know, thousands of shiurim in Yiddish. So like I said, my background is fully Ashkenaz Jews and fully Syrian. <laughs> wow. So I feel very, very... Comfortable in both. And the truth is, this is where it's tricky, to speak to a Syrian audience, I couldn't even possibly speak Ashkenaz. Like it only comes out of my guts, mm-hmm. Syrian. To speak to an Ashkenaz audience, it feels like I'm faking if I speak Sephardi. So if I say the Pasuk says in the Gemara to, to, to a Lakewood crowd, I'm like, who am I fooling? <laughs> so it naturally goes to a uh-huh. Lakewood crowd in a yeshivish way, and it naturally uh-huh. goes to a, okay. to a that, Syrian crowd in a way. I would Syrian say that that's a, that's a talent to be able to do that, and you're saying it almost comes second nature. So if I were to say, who are the speakers that helped mold me? I would first start with my father. Uh-huh. My father was a wonderful speaker. He's not so well now, but he was a wonderful speaker. And people in the Syrian community used to love to hear him. Mm-hmm. But I would say my father had a lot more dignity in his speech than what I like get, you know. And I guess, and, and I'm a sort of a combination of my father and my mother. That my father is very, very like respectful and aristocratic. Mm-hmm. And my mother is very dynamic and real. So I think the combination of the two is inside me. So they had a big impact. Um, my Rebbeim in Yeshiva had a big impact, not necessarily in the speaking style, but like Rebbeim Feinstein was my Rashiva, is my Rashiva, so he, like he's very practical. Mm-hmm. Gershon Weiss was my Manal, is very practical. I grew up pretty close to Rabbi Diamond and Deal, and he's very mm-hmm. like, he resonates, his, his things really like hit you yeah. in a beautiful way. And then the, when I got married, and my, I lived in Deal or Lake, whatever. My in-laws lived in Brooklyn. So sometimes I would go to Rabbi Eli Manso's speech. He was like a few years older than me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, because I had no real place in Brooklyn because I was really grew up in Jersey. So I would go in and speak into speech. And maybe I went to seven or eight of them as a kid. But there was a bunch of things that, that he did. I said, like, wow, the way he did a 45 minutes on one topic, the way he really, like, sort of lifted up the crowd and resonated with the crowd, was funny and serious at the same time. Some of those things, bringing Torah content in a very interesting way, all of that like registered in my head mm-hmm. in a really strong way. Like I said, wow, like that's interesting to be able to do that. And, and when I first started speaking, people would be like, oh, he's the next, he's again, right? Manso is, is older than me. Oh, he's the next, right? Manso, like in the certain community, I'll get that comment a lot. Uh, but now I think we have very unique styles. Uh-huh. But I would say those people That's all great. together contributed to getting there. That's really great. So I, I might have talked too much. No, no, but no. I, but I, I appreciated uh, the I conversation. I loved your insights. This was a great conversation. No, thank you very much. Keep doing what you do. We, no. we love you, Drushas. We love you, Shiurim. We love you, speeches. 
I hope that you'll be on Vayimoyin again. No, I'm hoping to be with um, Many, many more times. And, and we're excited again for this book, which is bringing the video messages and the written word that so many people are going to appreciate it. And I, I should mention that besides for the fact that it's based on what the speaker said on Vayimoyin, Rabbi Spiro, in his own tremendously creative way, added in a lot of his own. So this is a, a, a new creation. Um, but it's just a continuation of the heroic, courageous people behind Vayimoyin who choose to be anonymous um, incredibly. That yeah, this first is of all, they're unbelievable. If you, would, you, if you know how humble they are. Like, I don't think they realize how much of impact they're making on Klai Yisrael. And I think that this is another step in that battle that, we're, that we as a nation are waging against what you would say is the marketing technology mm-hmm. um, inundation of images that are being thrown in people's faces all the time. And it's an ongoing battle. And you could sort of succeed on Tuesday and fail on Wednesday. Right. And you could, be, you could feel very strong for a year and then all of a sudden feel very weak because of maybe other things that are happening in a person's life. So the ongoing battle, the video, and now combine that with the book, I think enables people to give people strength. And whether it's a young bacher in yeshiva or not in yeshiva who struggles, whether he's in yeshiva or he's in the workforce and he's struggling and he wants to live atarat kodesh, or if it's an older married man, and whether he's from, not his from, but he's like, uh, struggles with these things. The message today is, you're a healthy person if you have a struggle. But your job now is, okay, mazel tov, we validated you. You feel good about yourself? You're healthy? Good. Now, turn away. Because that's how you're going to stay healthy. And that's how you're going to become a strong person. And that's our job. We serve Hashem. We, we different generations, had different tests. We don't live in ghettos. We don't have the kind of epic poverty that they might have had. We don't have the oppression that they might have had a hundred years ago. Our test today is sort of the test of luxury. And that is that everything around us looks fantastic. And our job is to put the blinders on and say, I'm focusing on my life. I'm focusing on my home. I'm focusing on what I'm building. And I'm not distracted by it all. And I'm not jealous of it all. And I'm not frustrated by it all. And I'm not down by what looks like is out there. I know my life. I'm proud of it. I'm excited about it. I'm living it. So Hashem's test today, it used to be a test of of negativity. And today our test is almost a test of positivity. Where our test is, it seems like there's so much out there. You feel like everyone's got something that you don't. Lift yourself up. Be proud of what you have. Be proud of who you are. Be proud of the fact that we're a part of Am Yisrael and have the courage and the strength the next time you're tempted to be able to be vayimayin, to turn away and say, I'm objecting and Hashem is going to take care of giving me an incredible life. As always, thank you, thank you for that message of positivity and strength and thank you. continued atzlacha. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you.